Right, today's reading is from Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, God in is Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's colour changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and, be, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his colour changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your colour change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans and astrologers because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now, let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I've heard of that. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its inter interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read this writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kinship and greatness, greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up 
and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. He was brought down with, from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sits over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and God, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honoured. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Heavenly Father, thank you for all of the good things that you've given us uh, this past week. Thank you for every blessing to us uh, as your creatures and as your people. Father, we thank you above all for the gift of your saving gospel uh, through your son Jesus Christ. And we thank you for your word written in the Bible uh, in which we read and hear about that saving message. Father, we thank you for every part of your word and today we thank you for uh, this part of your word from Daniel 5 uh, we've just had read out. Father, we pray that as we spend some time dwelling in Daniel 5 now, we pray that uh, for all of us, uh, your word would, by your spirit, be changing us from the inside out. Father, I pray uh, that we'd hear clearly what your word is saying. Father, pray that I'd be faithful in uh, unpacking what it is saying and Lord pray that for each of us uh, we would hear and heed its message so that we would turn be all the more eager to turn and follow you in Jesus name we ask these things amen well uh, the reading we've just had uh, it's pretty hard-hitting isn't it it's not not like one of those stories or, or a movie with a happy ending uh, it's like uh, perhaps the kind of movie that Hollywood doesn't often make, a movie with, with an unhappy ending where the main character, Belshazzar, the king, Belshazzar, uh, dies and dies unhappily, dies under God's judgment. Uh, why as a guest speaker, someone who doesn't know most of you personally, why would I choose to speak from this passage? Well, because as we just prayed, it's part of God's word. Uh, but let's also see, I think, why this particular part of God's Word uh, is here for us, written for us today, not just for Old Testament Israel, and what we ought to learn from it. 
uh, the lesson of judgment, God's judgment. But uh, we're starting in Daniel chapter 5, and before we get to chapter 5, uh, some of you would know uh, the book of Daniel very well, uh, some of you a little, perhaps some of you not at all. So a bit of background first. Uh, as readers of the book of Daniel, before we get to chapter 5, today's reading, we learn really two big things from the first four chapters of Daniel before we get here. The first of these two things is that Yahweh, the God of Israel, that he is still present in Babylon. He still cares for his people, Israel, there who are faithful to him. Israelites such as Daniel and his friends who are a long way from Israel, a long way from home, a long way in exile from the country where they've grown up. God still knows them, loves them and cares for them uh, where they're faithful to him. But there's a second thing we've learned as well. And that is that the God of Israel that he's interested not just in the people Israel, but he's interested in all peoples and whether they are turning to him or whether they are turning away from him. In Daniel chapter 2, it's been revealed that the true God, he rules over history. Uh, he directs the beginning and the end of empires, that he is the real king, the king over kings, the king of kings. In chapter 3 of Daniel, we learn that the Lord God is greater, greater than even the most impressive of man-made idols, this massive gold statue uh, in modern-day Iraq, outside Babylon. God is greater than that, that statue. <clears throat> in chapter 4, the Lord God goes even further. He takes the most powerful ruler of the age of this time, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, who had conquered Judah and who'd conquered many other places besides. He takes King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and he shows that as the one true God, he has the power to make or to break King Nebuchadnezzar. Why does he do this? As uh, 4 verse 17 put it, put it, so that the living may know that the most high God rules the kingdoms of men and gives them to whom he will and sets over them the lowliest. Nebuchadnezzar himself, by the end of chapter 4, he learns this lesson. He acknowledges at the end of chapter 4 that the Lord, the Lord alone is the source of unlimited power, the source of perfect justice. The very last verse of chapter 4, just before we get to our reading today, this is what it says. Now I, King Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of heaven, for all his works are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Now you think this lesson that had been taught to Nebuchadnezzar and all who knew him, you'd think this lesson would not be easily forgotten. Nebuchadnezzar was the greatest, he was the most powerful and famous of all the Babylonian kings. In chapters 1 to 3, he and his advisors have been repeatedly shown the power of God. And then in chapter 4, he is dramatically humbled for a long period of time. He's sent out, he loses his mind it seems, and is sent out for years to live like a beast in the field. He tells everyone, I just read it out, he tells everyone at the end of chapter 4 that this is the work of the God of Israel. And so what he has learnt should not be forgotten. But it is forgotten. 
It is forgotten. As we turn to the beginning of chapter 5, our reading today, it is forgotten. Uh, King Belshazzar, he's not the immediate successor of Nebuchadnezzar. The historians think there are probably a couple of other kings who come in between them. But Belshazzar's reign still occurs within living memory of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. Other people do remember. The Queen remembers Daniel's work. She remembers the great deeds of Daniel's God from that time. But Belshazzar, he doesn't remember, does he? Look at him. Here in verse 1 we meet him. What is he doing? He's partying. He's enjoying himself. Even though we learn from the end of the chapter, he shouldn't be partying and enjoying himself. His enemies are literally at his gates. The Medes and the Persians are there and they're about to take over. He's partying. But it is not for this, stupid as it is, that Belshazzar is judged. In verse 2, Belshazzar thinks that he is so powerful that his wishes for his own pleasure mean that he can disrespect the God of heaven and earth. And not just show any kind of disrespect, but disrespect the God of heaven and earth in public. Uh, even, he can have even the lowest members of his court, that's the concubines, they can use God's own cups and crockery from the temple. When God's temple in Jerusalem still stood, not even the king of Israel could drink from those cups. But Belshazzar, he takes those cups and he uses them for his own drunken party. It'd be like taking the kitchen utensils of the Governor-General today here in Australia and using them for a street party with cheap beer. It's unthinkable. Now we might think, some of you might be thinking, hang on, where this story is going, if, if you, you started to read chapter 4 uh, but didn't know how it ended, you might be thinking, oh, look, this, this could end up like um, chapter 4 did with the last king. Here's a really stupid king who doesn't honour God. God is going to show him who he is and this king is going to turn back to God and repent. That's what had happened in chapter 4. Uh, the last king, Nebuchadnezzar, revels in his pride, thumbs his nose at God, is arrogant towards God. And yet he, his pride, he is humbled, he is judged, and he repents at the end of the, cha- end of the chapter. And so in chapter 4 of Daniel, we see the mercy of God displayed out of judgment, displayed out of God's judging power. In chapter 4, mercy is displayed out of power. But in chapter 5, no, this story, this account is going to end differently we're going to see uh, headlined, not mercy, what we're going to see headlined in this chapter is judgment, judgment. It's striking and sad that Belshazzar remembers some things from Nebuchadnezzar's reign, but he doesn't remember other things. Notice what he does remember. He remembers those valuables stolen from the temple, those cups and everything, doesn't he? He remembers that, but he doesn't Uh, He remembers, as it were, they're in his kitchen cupboard, but he does not remember the God who owns those cups. He doesn't remember the lesson that God has given to Nebuchadnezzar, the lesson that even the most powerful must humble themselves and worship the one true God. 
uh, to add insult to injury. They don't just use God's property, those cups to eat and drink from. What do they do with them? Look, they use God's cups, God's property, to praise the false gods, to praise uh, not the creator God, not the true God, but to praise gods that are nothing more than metal, that are nothing more than the cups they're drinking from. It's like, uh, imagine at, at a special dinner, um, the moment comes to give thanks, to give thanks to God, to say grace, and exactly the wrong words come out. Instead of praising God and thanking him, exalt, uh, insulting him and praising the creation instead. These are words of idolatry. But then something happens, something happens so shocking that it even gets the attention of this drunken partying king. A disembodied hand appears. And this is no random vision. The hand has an intelligence behind it. It doesn't scribble like a toddler. There's some toddlers here, I think. It doesn't do that, no. The hand writes letters. The hand writes words. The king is terrified. You'd hope that he's terrified because he has just insulted God and he's realised it. Uh, this hand appears just after they've toasted the false gods with the vessels from the temple. Maybe now, maybe just now, the king will make the connection between Nebuchadnezzar's lesson, the true God, uh, and he'll invite in Daniel as the prophet of the true God. Yet no, even in his extreme panic, he does not do, he still doesn't do what he should do. Because who does he call in? He turns to the wrong guys, doesn't he? He, he, it's like, um, you know, when he should be going to an accountant, he goes to a mate who knows a little bit about numbers. Or uh, instead of going to the doctor, it goes to someone who, who claims, claims they know medical things, but really, really they're, they're very dodgy. Uh, he turns to the wrong guys, to the enchanters, the astrologers, the wise men or the Chaldeans of Babylon. And they cannot answer him. It's not just they can't explain what's going on. In all of their learning, they can't even read the writing on the wall, can they? But this has happened before. This kind of situation has happened before. Back in chapter 2, a generation earlier, the same group of people, the enchanters, the astrologers and the rest, the same group of people in chapter 2 knew nothing, could do nothing, while the true God gave his true prophet Daniel the answers at just the right time. You'd think that even if the king had forgotten this, at least some of these people, these so-called wise men, would know and remember. They're the people who are responsible for collecting and remembering all of the previous knowledge of the Babylonian Empire. That's their job. Not just should they remember what happened a few years ago because it was valuable, useful information. They should also remember because their very lives had depended on it. Back in chapter 2, some years earlier, the knowledge uh, given through Daniel by God to, the, to, to Daniel had saved the wise men of a generation before in Daniel chapter 2. They were all about to be executed because they didn't know what the king needed to know. They were about to be dead and gone. But uh, Daniel's God through Daniel gave, the true God gave, gave an answer that saved all of their lives. You think they'd remember that? And they'd say, quick, call in Daniel, call in the prophet of the true God. But they don't. 
Even the wise do not know him, God, on whom all wisdom depends. But there is one person in the room who remembers, isn't there? The queen. She does remember. She hears and she points King Belshazzar in the right direction there in verse 10. Notice uh, how when Daniel comes in, as a result, Daniel's in, and notice how he's introduced in verse 13. It's a real irony, I think. God is going to use one of the exiles of Judah. That's how he's referred to. God is going to use one of the exiles of Judah who's been brought to Babylon, just like those cups and dishes they were using before, just like the cups and dishes of the temple of Judah, to answer the king who has been disrespecting the God of Judah, the one true God. That is to say, the disrespected, forgotten, ignored true God is going to use his disrespected, ignored, forgotten true prophet to give the king his message. Uh, Daniel comes in and he meets the king. And what does the king do? The king flatters Daniel. He flatters him in verse 14. I've heard that the spirit of the true gods is in you. But notice he can't even get his flattery right, can he? Gods, plural. Uh, when he should, he should have, someone should have re- referenced him. Oh, look, those Jews, they're the ones that believe in only one God. But he, he tries to flatter him. And he says, in you is light, understanding, excellent wisdom, You can solve problems. He tries to bribe him. If you can tell me the answer, I'll clothe you with purple. Purple's the colour of power in the ancient world. I'll give you a chain of gold, which is a symbol of privilege and wealth. And you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Uh, Just on that, third really means second at this point, because... It seems that um, uh, there's like a co-emperor or co-king with Belshazzar who's off fighting the Persians somewhere else who's still alive. And so what he's saying to Daniel is, I'll give you the highest job in the kingdom that is currently vacant, which is number three in the kingdom. I'll give that to you. Perhaps the king in saying all of this, in flattering Daniel, in bribing him, perhaps the king thought he could just make his terror go away. Maybe if I honour this messenger of the gods, the gods will give me a message less unsettling than that terrifying disembodied hand. But Daniel, he's been here before. This isn't the first time he's been in this kind of position. Again, back in chapter 2, as a much younger man, Daniel's heard the threats, he's heard the promises of power and wealth given to wise men like him before and given by a real king, Nebuchadnezzar, an all-powerful king, rather than a weak king who's about to lose like Belshazzar. Daniel has heard these threats, these promises, this flattery. He's heard it all before. And back then in chapter 2, it did not change what he said and it isn't going to change it now. Daniel is here to give the unchanging message of the unchanging God. Uh, And notice how Daniel speaks. He doesn't pretty up his words. He doesn't cover his words with honey. Just because he's speaking to a king, he doesn't add polite, fancy niceties or beautiful words. He just speaks to King Belshazzar like he would speak to anybody else because he's the messenger 
of someone far more powerful than this king. And so in verse 17, Daniel says, No, no, King Belshazzar, no, I speak the truth that God gives me. I don't speak the truth that the powerful pay me to speak. And then he says it, verses 18 to 21, God through Daniel gives a short history lesson to the king and all who are listening. He says, remember, even the powerful King Nebuchadnezzar was punished and humbled for his sin by the one true God. And he makes things more pointed in verses 22 and 23. Your problem isn't just simple ignorance or forgetfulness. He says, though you knew all this, Belshazzar knows his history, or he should know his history, and he should know that he, he shouldn't lift himself up against the king of heaven. He knows what he should have done. He should have humbled himself. And yet here he is with the enemy at his gates. The hour of his death is approaching. <clears throat> And what is he doing? He's proudly partying and insulting the one true God, the one true God who could save him, with the one true God's own possessions from his temple. This is his greatest crime. King Nebuchadnezzar, the, the, guy, the, other, the other king who is humbled, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't have a previous king of Babylon to learn from. He didn't have an example of a previous king of his own country to learn from. King Belshazzar, he does have a previous example. He has the previous example of the most famous king of his empire, Nebuchadnezzar. He should have learnt from this lesson. And so this time, in this chapter, final judgment comes at the end, rather than mercy. Not mercy, but judgment this time. Even when the very household goods, the very kitchen utensils of the one true God are brought before the king, the very objects that should remind him of God, what does he do? He does not remember and praise the God who gives him his very life, his very breath. No, he goes in the opposite direction. Belshazzar has had his chance. He is turned away from God who he should have known, to the gods of gold and silver and bronze and the rest, gods which do not see, do not know, and cannot help. But God, our true God, he sees and he knows. And in verse 24, he sends or he has sent that messenger of doom. He sent the hand to write the message. Much has been said over the last two and a half thousand words since those words were written on the wall about those four short words and about what they mean. But the key thing to know, the key thing for us to know, is that these words are a message of final, unavoidable coming judgment. Verse 26, so certain is the coming judgment that it's spoken of in the past tense. Notice how it's written, uh, I think, in your ESVs. Uh, God has numbered the days of your kingdom. That is, the judgment has been made. And God has brought it to an end. It's a done deal. 
The judgment is happening. Verse 27. Belshazzar, you personally have been weighed. You might say he's been sized up in God's scales. And you're the wrong weight. There's too much confirmed opposition to the true God in there. There's nothing in the scales of godly fear of God, of Yahweh. This weighing up, this judgment having been made by God. In verse 28, we get the verdict, which is the natural result, the natural consequence. Your kingdom is finished. Your kingdom will be taken from you and given to foreigners, people you don't know. Now, some of you, as you were reading this, or heard it read, you might have thought, what comes next? after that word of judgment is given, what comes next is a bit surprising. You'd expect maybe Belshazzar would, would break down in tears or he'd, he'd throw one of the cups at Daniel in anger. You know, that those, those are the kind of responses you might expect. But that's not what happens. Belshazzar keeps his word to Daniel. He sort of smiles and gives him his reward in full. Even though I'm sure the interpretation of the words, that's not the interpretation that the king wanted, is it? Maybe it's the fact that in front of his guests, he still feels like he's got to act out the part of the honest king, the honest king who keeps his promises. Maybe he's trying to show that in spite of Daniel's words, hey, look at me, I'm still the king. This guy who's given me this word of judgment, I can still give him a gold chain and put purple clothes on him because I'm powerful. Okay? <laughs> Maybe he's in a silly human way trying to show that he's still the boss. Maybe he thinks that he can avoid the coming judgment in the last moment. Maybe if I give honours and rewards to the messenger of the God who threatens my destruction, maybe I can still buy him off, even now. Just like I would buy off my own silly gods of gold and silver and wood. But it doesn't work, does it? Because the true God, the God of Israel, he's not like those other gods. He doesn't change like the weather. He can't be influenced by pathetic, self-serving humans. His judgment comes just as he promised it. It comes immediately. That very night, Belshazzar is indeed killed. His kingdom comes to an end. And the person who takes over in the city of Babylon, uh, Darius the Mede, is from one of those two groups that Daniel has named just a few hours earlier. So it happens exactly as God promised, even down to the details. Stepping back and looking at this passage, um, looking at it as a whole, uh, today's passage, I'd suggest, reminds us of a few things today, things that we should know and remember. Things that which, like Belshazzar and his people, though, things that which sometimes we cannot know, things that which we can sometimes forget even though we should remember them. Uh, firstly, uh, Daniel 5 reminds us that it is the Lord God who is the real king, nobody else. Not, not, not the premier, not the king on his throne in Babylon, not, not imagined false gods. No, it's the Lord God who is the real king, full stop, no one else. Uh, people, uh, sometimes even God's people, sometimes we can be convinced by the illusions of worldly power, more convinced than we, we recognise. We can forget that the Lord is the real king, 
not my angry boss in the corner office. Uh, we can forget that the Lord is the real king. Um, of course, we do recognise, as Christians, our Bible teaches us, we do recognise that under God there are other rulers and authorities. Uh, we recognise as Christians that uh, where people are rulers, uh, that according to Romans 13, for example, that we are obliged to obey and honour them. Um, we're, we're obliged to follow their laws in the present age. But those people, those rulers in the present age, they only have power, Romans 13 tells us this, they only have power because their power comes from God. It's a temporary power uh, that one day he will take back and give to his son Jesus on the last day. Uh, Revelation chapter 19, uh, I won't read it now but you can look at it later if you're taking notes. Revelation chapter 19 reminds us today that God the Son Jesus Christ, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. That's how he's described, King over kings and Lord over lords. He is the King who will come at the end of history to rule all nations, Israelites, Babylonians, Singaporeans, Australians, whoever we are, forever. Where the powerful oppose him, where the powerful act as agents of Satan or the false gods they will be defeated sooner or later. Because today's passage from Daniel, as I mentioned earlier, uh, it gives us this note, this message of final judgment, alongside the message that appears in the previous chapters of Daniel, of mercy. Daniel chapter 4 uh, has told us that God is the true king, he can humble anyone, even the most powerful king of the age, and can bring King Nebuchadnezzar even, uh, even someone as powerful as him, to acknowledge the true God. But chapter 5, what we're focused on today, it adds a sobering reminder that some people, like Belshazzar, never acknowledge him in time, never acknowledge him before the end. And so, judgment falls without any further opportunity for repentance. Some people should know, some people should humble themselves before the Lord, just like King Belshazzar knew, but just like Belshazzar, they just keep on living their life, partying to the same old songs, the same old songs they always have. Secondly, we should remember today the warning of the story of Belshazzar, and we should bring others to notice it, to notice and know that a day of judgment is coming where God will send his son Jesus Christ to judge the living and the dead through him. Uh, more generally, when speaking with anyone, when speaking with each other as Christians, when speaking with friends, neighbours, workmates who are not Christian, we mustn't neglect to remember and speak about the message of God's judgment. It's a part of the canon of Scripture. It's a part of the teaching of the Bible. Uh, we can't talk about other things in the Bible without mentioning this, without mentioning passages like Daniel 5 or the lesson of Daniel 5, which is that there is a day of judgment, that God is a God of judgment, and he will judge those who do not turn to him. It's a tough message, but it's an important message. That is to say, for, for, for us today, for people today, for anyone here who doesn't know Jesus today, for our friends, family, neighbours, workmates who don't know Christ today, 
there is still an opportunity for faith and repentance. The end of the chapter hasn't yet come. If you're alive today, if you, those who are Christ, not Christian who you know are, are walking and alive today, the chapter hasn't ended yet. The opportunity for repentance before judgment is still there. We want to encourage each other to continue in faith and repentance before God. We want to encourage others before the judgment comes to turn in faith and repentance through Christ to God as well. <clears throat> that opportunity at the start of chapter 5 was still there for Belshazzar before he insulted God one last time. But the message is urgent. The message is urgent because just as judgment was coming in chapter 5 for the king, Belshazzar, judgment is coming for all men and women today as well. As I said, we have Daniel chapter 5 in the canon of scripture as well as passages like Daniel chapter 4. We have judgment as well as mercy. And when judgment comes, doing the modern day of what, what Belshazzar does won't change a thing. Like for some, some people, perhaps uh, some generations, I'll, look, I'll worry about all the God stuff later. I'll leave a bequest in my will maybe. Uh, so when I die, um, look, I will have kind of been nice. I will have given, as it were, a, a kind of a metaphorical purple cloak and gold chain to the church after I die. Um, look, while I'm alive, I'll kind of be nice and kind to my Christian friends, but I'll dishonour their God by ignoring him. These kind of strategies, they don't work. They're Belshazzar strategies. And they didn't work for him, they won't work for any one of us today. The biblical message of judgment, it's not a popular message. It's not an easy message to hear in any age, especially so today. But it's part of the witness of Scripture. And we mustn't give in to the temptation to leave it out, a temptation that sadly some churches, some Christians do give in to, subtly or not so subtly. We mustn't do that. We may be tempted to think that downplaying uh, the judgment part of God's message, that that'll give us more of a hearing with the non-Christian world. But is it the kind of hearing we really want? No. Don't we want to be faithful to the God who will bring his judgment no matter what? We can't answer for the Belshazzars who ignore the message that we've been given. But we all do answer, like Daniel did, to God the judge, to his son Jesus Christ. Daniel 5 uh, also reminds us more briefly one of, the, of one of the reasons why we do read and we should keep reading our Old Testament. Uh, it reminds us of what we should look for, it, it, one of the things we should look for in the story of Old Testament Israel. Just like Belshazzar should have learnt from the past history of God's dealings with his own family, with the previous king, we as New Testament Christians should learn from the unbelief of Israel, learn from the unbelief of Belshazzar. Remember chapters like Hebrews 4, remember the generation in the desert, Moses' generation, who hardened their hearts and missed out on the promised land. Uh, I assume all of us or most of us here will be Gentiles, not Jews. Remember what 11, Romans 11.20 says, Romans 11.20. Don't be proud as Gentiles, but look upon the fate of Israel. Fear God and turn to him. Lastly, Daniel 5 reminds us too that the, that the world often forgets or denies what it should know about God. 
And we shouldn't be surprised that the world forgets or denies what should be known about God. Um, we, might, we, might think, we might think, surely they must know. Surely they would remember. Surely it would be obvious, like Daniel was probably thinking, I reckon. But no, even when the answers of the Bible are known and well known to be true, the world, who's it going to turn to? Who's it going to turn to first? Is it going to turn to the Bible? Is it going to turn to Christians like you? No. The world will almost always turn to the astrologers, uh, the wise men of its own age. We'll turn to the professionals, we'll turn to the gurus, we'll even turn to a current affair and other things like that um, uh, to learn, learn wisdom. Don't be surprised by this. Live faithfully like Daniel did. Be prepared to give an answer for your faith when you have the opportunity to. We will still run into the same willful ignorance in the world around us in places, but sometimes we'll run into a Nebuchadnezzar rather than a Belshazzar, someone who hears the word of God that we bring, the word of life, and who turns to him. And so as we finish today, let's remember the message of Daniel 5. Let's keep reminding each other of it. The message that the Lord is king, and he is the king who judges, the king who will bring swift judgment on all those highest down to the lowest who do not remember him. Let's pray that we'll remember this now. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are, that you are, you are always right, you are always just. And we praise you that we have the opportunity, the opportunity that many here have taken of receiving your mercy and becoming your people, uh, your people like Daniel. Father, we praise you for this great opportunity that instead of judgment, we have received mercy. And thank you by your spirit for prompting all those here who know you um, to turn to you in time. Father, I pray, uh, I pray for any who are here and any who are our friends who are not here, friends and workmates and family and neighbours, uh, who who are still in the place where Belshazzar is in, who haven't yet uh, turned to you. Father, I pray that uh, before the judgment comes, uh, that, that uh, you would turn uh, many to you. Father, I pray that um, you'll help all of us to be uh, clearly, thoughtfully, gently, like Daniel, yet, yet faithfully, uh, speaking all your, all your message, including uh, this message of warning, this message of judgment to those who need to hear it in a world that is lost, in a world that is still partying to the same old wrong songs. Father, we pray for mercy upon uh, all those uh, in this part of the world here in Brisbane who do not know you, and we pray that you would turn many to you in faith and repentance over the coming weeks, months and years. Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom, uh, wisdom to be able to point others uh, to your son uh, and in speaking to others that we would speak all of your message and know how to speak about it clearly, faithfully and wisely uh, so that we might see people turning to you and turning away from foolishness and ignorance and not knowing you. We pray all these things in the name of your son, the final and true king and the final judge. Jesus Christ. Amen.